Hey guys, Matt Halpern here with episode 18 of the Chocolate Croissants podcast. As always, we really appreciate you checking us out. If you've been with us for the past 18 weeks, then you're a pretty much a fucking champion. So thank you for sticking with us. If you're new to the podcast, we really appreciate you coming and checking this out. This week's actually going to be really, really fun. Um, I'll tell you about the guest in a second. Before I do, I just want to give a very, very quick and warm shout out to everybody in our Facebook group. So we have a Facebook group that's, um, uh, you can find us at www.facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. And if you were to go there, you would see tons of interaction and tons of engagement between all of the members of the group. Um, people sharing their stories, asking questions, um, being vulnerable, asking for advice, uh, giving advice, about all sorts of topics, everything from physical health to mental health to topics like, you know, dealing with anxiety, making big life decisions. And, you know, it's just, I say this every week, but it's incredibly inspiring to see what goes on there and to see this community kind of having a life of its own. And it's, it's really living and breathing with the people that are in it, um, contributing and, and just helping each other. So if that sounds like something that you'd be interested in, again, please check us out. Um, we would love for you to join the group, join the conversation, ask questions, or just simply check out what's going on there to keep updated with our podcasts. Um, I also am going to make sure that we post some of the pictures that we discuss in this episode and some some other links from episode 18 that we discuss in the conversation in that group. So if, uh, if you'd like to check that out, again, you can find us at www.facebook.com slash groups slash chocolate croissants. I also would like to take a moment and give a huge shout out to our good friends at Rode Microphones. Uh, when we first started this podcast, Rode was very, very kind and they helped us out with some amazing gear so that we could record our voices and deliver them to your ear holes. Um, so hopefully um, we're not too abrasive on the ears and hopefully you like what you are hearing so far. Um, you can learn more about Rhodes products, including their podcast microphones and this USB mic that I'm using now over at RodeMic.com. That's R-O-D-E-M-I-C.com. You can also check them out on all of their socials at RodeMic. So episode, excuse me, episode 18 is a very, very special one for me because it features one of my brothers and best friends, Mr. Mark Holcomb from my band, Periphery. I've gotten the chance and have had the privilege to travel the world with Mark for many, many years now. We've shared incredibly tight living spaces together. We've played together on countless stages, big and small. We've gotten to share incredible meals and some bad meals together. Uh, we've had some very, very deep heart-to-heart -heart conversations. We've had some tough conversations. But frankly, no one in the world makes me laugh harder than this dude does, whether it's his characters, his voices, or his puns. Uh, the dude is brilliant and is just in, incredibly, incredibly funny. Uh, has such a, a, a light about him and such a warm, welcoming vibe that um, Mark is, is friends with pretty much everyone that he comes in contact with and anyone who meets him, you know, kind of feels that positive energy. So I hope you guys that are listening to this can feel that, that energy coming off him even, uh, you know, through this episode. So, um, just so you guys know, also we had Mark's brother, Jeff on the podcast as part of our satellite episodes, um, a few episodes back. And having Mark on now really helps to complete the picture of why the brothers Holcomb uh, are so fucking cool. So I don't want to talk too much. I'm going to leave it at that and let you guys dig in here. 
This is a super hilarious and very special conversation. I'm really glad that Justin and Jordan got a chance to get to know Mark a little bit through this as well. And as I mentioned before, I really hope that you guys get to know Mark through this episode too. So without further ado, enjoy episode 18 with my very, very, very close, good, lovable, dear friend, Mark Holcomb. Thanks for having me, dude. Do I have the distinction of being the first band member? You do. On the podcast? You do have the distinction of being the first band member on the podcast. That is correct. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I can say fuck, right? Yeah. Yeah, you could say fuck. Yeah, Bill said fuck a million times. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm happy to be on here, dude. It's funny, like I haven't actually had much interaction with you or the guys for the past couple of weeks, which is, that's a very weird thing when that occurs. You know, it's like I know. you go three and a half months on tour, and then boom, cold turkey from each other. You know, totally. Well, you know, we had a lot of time together in very, very small uh, crevices of of the world in a tour bus for the most part or on an airplane so yeah but yeah well so have you actually met jordan and justin in person i haven't no i mean i've had limited interaction online with i think just justin but uh but no i've never met either of you guys unless i'm forgetting some late night or some some quick moments at a show am i incorrect here no, this is Jordan. I've seen Periphery play a few, maybe three times now, but I never really got a chance to meet you guys. And one of the reasons why this episode excites me, but just the dynamic between me, Matt, and Periphery excites me, is that I really don't know much about you guys uh, compared to Justin. I mean, Justin's a legit fan of Periphery. Um, so for me, all I really know of you, Mark, is seeing you perform a few times. But besides that, I'm coming into this fresh, and I'm excited to learn about you. Awesome. Yeah, we've never met. Um, I know I've, 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 you know, just said to your brother how how great uh, he was doing, whether it was through film or through uh, like lighting design, um, or even playing bass with you guys. And I know I've had a couple interactions with him, but uh, yeah, I, maybe we passed each other. Um, I know I've, I've come to see you guys maybe a half a dozen times over the last uh, five or six years or so, but yeah, we've never had any uh, interaction, so I'm excited for this as well. Awesome. I mean, I'm, I, I assume that's probably going to change at some point. Probably, sure. um, um, what, December? Is it, no, November. That's when we play Baltimore, right? Well, no, we don't play not, Baltimore. No, there is no Baltimore date. Yeah, there's no Baltimore date, Mark. The closest dates to uh, to like the D.C. Baltimore area would be either Norfolk at the Norva or the Electric Factory in Philly. Um, oh shit! So I'll come to Philly. But I don't know. I I might be able to convince them to drive one way or the other, north or south, to one of those shows. Because yeah. um, yeah, it'd be fun to do like a podcast on tour. You know, like have you guys? How come sick up would and, it be to get like Javi? You know what I mean? Get, Javier would be the perfect dude from Animals as Leaders to do that. Oh yeah. Yeah, I'll work on it with him. I'll, I'll talk to him. He texted me today, um, so I'll <laughs> I'll get back to him and, and see if he wants to talk about some ridiculous shit with us. Um, we have some yeah. good stories with Javier. I don't know how many of them he's willing to share, but um, yeah, <laughs> you <laughs> that, probably that is a good question. You probably have more than me, Mark. Um, okay, so just kind of like a like a kind of light random question that just occurred to me was, out of all the places that that we've been this year. What was like? What was your most fun travel experience? Like, was it one of the vehicles we were using on the road, like the bus or the bandwagon, or like was it one of the flights or airports? Like, do you have a, like a memorable or favorite travel 
story at all? In terms of the actual travel? Um, Whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can tell you the reverse of that real quick. <laughs> is that, um, I mean, nothing against anybody at Bandwagon if they're listening to this podcast, but um, I can't do Bandwagons anymore, man. Um, and you know this from the years that we've toured together, is that I, I just, I have trouble sleeping. You know, I, I don't sleep on tour. And, um, you know, over the, what, seven years we've been doing this together, six years, seven years, uh, it's progressively gotten worse. And the I think it was the U.S. tour that we did this year. We did it at a bandwagon, right? And I, dude, I was just, I was ready to go home like two, two weeks into it because I just was not getting any sleep. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the easiest experience was probably the, the European tour that we just finished up where we had uh, the bus share going on with the, with the contortionist guys. Um, you know, we had the, the 18 bunk set up and it was a super smooth ride and just touring with a bunch of guys that you really like and who you can kind of disappear into, you know, they're, they're not really partiers and it was just, it was a nice experience to sort of just, um, not be in a place where it was impossible to sleep, you know? Yeah. 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 It's funny. Like a lot of our crew couldn't sleep on the bandwagon either. Um, and it's funny, I've never really had a problem with it. It might just be my bunk placement of where I normally sleep. I'm a little bit, like, you're usually top bunk above me, Mark. And then yeah. I'm in the middle. And in the middle, like, I don't really rock too much. And I don't know, I tend to get a good night's sleep. I, I actually slept better, <laughs> I think, in the bandwagon than I did on the tour bus in Europe, only because the tour bus in Europe didn't have vents on the bottom. So I would wake up, like sweaty and gross and like looking like Marquis after a full day working on the stage. And, uh, it would just be, it would be rough. So I don't know, but okay. So what was your, what's been the best flight for you? This um, year? best flight, man, there's been so many, I mean, you know, I actually like, this is going to be an unpopular answer, but I love long flights. I love these long hauls. I, I, I dig a 14, 15 hour flight because it's this, um, it's this excuse where you get to say to yourself, "I'm just going to sit here for 14 hours, but I'm going to still feel productive about doing it." You know, anytime I just sit there for, you know, seven or eight hours in a day, I don't feel productive. I feel guilty. Uh, if I just sit and watch four movies in a row, I feel like a piece of shit. But if I'm on a plane and I watch four movies in a row, I feel like I just got a lot done because I just moved across the entire planet. You know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was probably one of the long hauls, man. Like, one of the Australia flights, probably. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's funny. I, and I know Justin has a question, so I'm going to pass it to him in a second. But um, I, I, uh, I know you like to fly, and you always have sort of enjoyed those long hauls. I, I, never, uh, I never dislike them, but I dislike the feeling before I have to get on them. Like, Oh, yeah. You yeah. know? Because it's if you're like, getting on a flight like that, chances are you're going to be away for a long time. And you get, there's emotional stuff. You got to say bye to people. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, it's always emotional when when I fly on planes. And I, I've, it's funny. I've talked to a lot of people about this. Um, there's a drummer, a very very famous drummer named Dom Famulero, who some of the listeners may know. And uh, Dom is I don't know. He's probably in his fifties now, or yeah, I would say fifties safely. And 
every time he flies, he was telling me he like he gets very, very uh, sentimental. He texts his family. He loves them. Um, it's oh. always like right before they shut the doors and take off. But then once they take off, he feels fine. It's just he gets this overwhelming sense of emotion before he flies. And I think I'm the same way. I know you i mean you and i have sat next to each other on enough flights to to know that you know we text our our loved ones and and so forth and we talk about that and then we go ahead and we make jokes like with our hands of airplanes taking off and crashing into the ground <laughs> so <laughs> i don't know what's better or worse but you know it's kind of comes with the territory it's like the it's like the dark humor that that reminds us that uh we're about to fly <laughs> in an airplane in the middle of the air uh yeah well I have a superstition that the more you do that kind of stuff, the more you joke about that, then the less likely it is to happen. And if that's bullshit, if that's completely untrue, then at least you won't be as scared because you will have joked about it so many times that when it's actually happening, when you're like, oh my God, this plane's going down, um, then <laughs> that feeling won't be so unfamiliar. You'll be like, oh, this is what I joked about so many times. It's what I get. Okay, um, real quick. Do you remember when we were flying in Russia? I think we were going into St. Petersburg. And do you remember it was like completely, completely washed out outside. It was just gray clouds. There was a storm and we were landing. And then all of a sudden the pilot pulled up on the accelerator and like, like drove us straight up into the air. Like we were almost going to hit the ground. Do you remember that? Yeah. I, you know what? I do remember that. I remember I was, I was so exhausted because on that tour we were getting like three, four hours of sleep a night. Um, but I remember that uh, I remember, and I remember like being alarmed, but being more alarmed at the fact that I just didn't care, <laughs> you know, uh, I was, I was like, God, it feels like we're going to die right now. And then afterwards I was just like, Oh, well, whatever. We're in Russia, you know, just things happen like this in Russia, I guess. I don't know. No offense to Russians listening, but some sketchy stuff happened on that tour. Yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> fair enough. Well, Justin, what were you going to say? Uh, so in uh, in referencing your brother's podcast, you guys lived all over the world. And since we're talking about traveling, I'm trying to figure out two things. Uh, your favorite place that you guys as a band end up traveling to, maybe that you have some history where friends get to come out or you get to, uh, Matt's talked about you venturing off. And I know your brother talks about where like uh, you end up in a random city somewhere in the world and you get to go venture off and uh, rekindle some old relations, you know, some some old uh, relationships. You get to see old friends. Um, is there a favorite place that periphery tours that you always look forward to? And uh, and then as a second part, where do you currently live? I think I think I know you live in Texas, maybe. Um, I think Matt's talked about it. Uh, um, but how did you end up picking that? And and is it weird that when the tour stops, you don't really have as much connection? with your brothers in the band because you guys don't all live in the same place. Yeah. Um, first of all, you're right. I live in, I live in Austin, Texas, um, which is something I tried out for a couple of years. Uh, several years ago, my wife got a job offer here and we accepted, um, having never lived here, having never been a Texan, so to speak. Um, we were living in DC at the time and it was just time for a change. I, I was just feeling like a lot of things in my life were pushing me to try something else out uh, in our lives. So I figured, why not? Every time we'd ever visited family here in Austin uh, or or been here on tour, it, it had always been, you know, a really incredible time. And, and there's a lot of things about this city which I identify with to a great uh, extent. Um, sure. But uh, yeah, to answer your, your your first questions, 
there's man, there's so many, um, and, and for a multitude of reasons as well. Like with the band, my favorite place to go is probably Australia because it's just such such a breeze to do everything there, uh, and the way our band is treated, the way we're taken care of, uh, our fan base, and you know, seeing the way the other guys enjoy it as well. I mean, that kind of energy is contagious, uh, and, and, it, and it really uh, heightens the way I enjoy a place. So, I mean, Australia is one of those places that, as a band is just is just on a different level. Um, but yeah, I mean, going back to some of the places that we've lived, for instance, I mean, Jeff probably mentioned the fact that we've lived in the Philippines, uh, we lived in Spain, uh, spent some time in South Korea and Germany as kids, and and getting to go back for my job is uh, is something that I'm not even exaggerating. It's something that I literally have dreamed of since I was a kid. You know, like I would sit there and daydream. You know, years after I left the Philippines, um, always missing the Philippines because I spent years, you know, years zero to 10 of my life living there. So when we were pulled out of it, uh, I had spent years and years daydreaming it and daydreaming about it and, and romanticizing it and uh, just finding mentally some way to go back. But it would always be, you know, for a vacation. And even then, I went back to the Philippines two times in about 10 or 11 years. So I, I would always keep it in the back of my head, like, God, you know, if, if I could make the music thing one work or music thing work one day, then one one day I'm gonna hopefully, you know, be able to tour internationally. And then I just it was always such a pipe dream that I never ever um, expected it to be a reality. You know, so when we, I remember years ago when we finally got our first offer to go to the Philippines, it was just like, <laughs> sorry guys, I'm not even looking at the money you know, here in the, in the guarantee. I'm not looking at the guaranteed money. I'm not looking at any of the logistics or details. I don't care if it takes us seven flights to get there and we get paid negative five pesos. Um, I'm just, I just want to go back and play music in the Philippines. Um, so that's definitely one of the perks of the job is getting to sort of rekindle my connection to these old places in my life. So Mark, Jordan here. I think that's really cool that you really visualized having that specific type of experience and kind of banking that music would hopefully be the way that you could revisit those places. So I'm wondering, when did music come to you? Was it guitar first? Um, and to follow up on that, I mean, there's hundreds of thousands, uh, if, if not millions of guitar players in the world. What do you think it is about you that's different from all of them, whether it was just a belief in yourself or uh, just whatever it was within you to, to develop the, the practice regiment for yourself. Um, and not only that, just the courage to choose yourself and say, like, you know what, I want to share this with the world. Yeah, I mean, I guess just to answer your last question first, I, I, don't, I, do, I do think that I'm different. But I think every musician and every guitar player is different from the next person. Uh, how we differ from one another is how close, how closely we're willing to embrace who we are exactly. Uh, I know all of my idiosyncrasies as a player. I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. I feel maybe cocky about my strengths and then really insecure about my weaknesses. But I'm willing to embrace that 100%. Uh, and just be honest with myself and and thus be honest with with the music that I contribute to, the music that I write and the music that I perform. Um, and and I think, you know, not to make myself sound better than others, but I think a lot of people are afraid to embrace that. 
um, because they want to sound like somebody else, because they look up to somebody else to such a high degree that that their vision of themselves gets lost, if that makes any sense. Um, so, you know, so yeah, I always just really just try to be myself, you know, and, and all the other things that go with being a good bandmate uh, sort of just happened, you know, try, try and be a good people person, be there for the people that help you with your music. Uh, that's why I always just loved love the idea of being in a band you know i liked the idea of collaborating with others being there for your bandmates being there for them be, being there, there for them as musicians as a friend as a brother um so i i think those are the types of things that uh that give you longevity in this in this career um but uh but you asked when i started right yeah how, how did music come to you and was it guitar first it was guitar first. well i mean Technically, my, my mom got me piano lessons when I was like, when I was seven or eight, and I hated them. I don't think anybody actually likes piano lessons, right? I, I, no, I, that's how I started maybe when I was five. I did it for a year, but honestly, and now I'm a drummer, but I, I went from piano to guitar next. And piano is, I guess, the cleanest way to present music and how it works. So I was actually mm -hmm. really grateful for it later. Did you like piano? Not necessarily, but I liked the idea that I was learning music, and yeah. it seemed like a nice way to learn music and be introduced to it. Right. The problem with piano for me, I mean, I was eight, so what the hell did I know? But the problem when I was eight was that like, I knew Prince songs. I knew Michael Jackson songs. I knew Phil Collins songs or Genesis or whatever my mom was playing in the living room. But the, the real piano songs that they could teach you were these at the time for me just very boring mundane run-of-the-mill stuff you know um and the cool thing later in life when i discovered guitar at the age of um 13 was that you could play a green day song <laughs> you know you could play stuff that was cool with capital letters uh, you could play green day and offspring and all this all this cool stuff that you could never really play on piano i mean no no piano teacher wants to teach you like billy joel or, or or prince or michael jackson when you're eight years old you know i was learning the aladdin soundtrack we'll see that's way cooler <laughs> and jordan oh. was jordan your jordan was killing it because i think i was maybe three and i think all i really learned was a that i hated it because i was trying to ride my bike and they were saying come inside and i think i only learned like middle c and that was the end of it and, and, and it was the same thing with the guitar because I was two, I'm two years younger than Jordan and we would take uh, lessons kind of back to back. And he would get in the, you know, when it came to the piano, he could actually sit down and play songs. Uh, I remember uh, our mom would sit down and play with Jordan. They would play Heart and Soul. And I don't think I could really play anything. I, I think I was just too young for it and I just didn't care. It was too overwhelming. Um, and the same thing with guitar because when we started guitar, Jordan could uh, easily get in the car and play like a full Smashing Pumpkin song after a lesson, and I would struggle to uh, to like play a power chord on the A string and try to mute the E. You were also seven. That's hard as fuck when you're. That's seven. what I'm saying. But but it's funny because when I when I look back on it now, if I were to to pick an instrument for someone to start, I would come up with some kind of analogy to something fitness related. And when I think about martial arts, I think of you know, boxing and kickboxing is so great for anyone at any level because you get that instant gratification where you throw a punch and it's like, cool, even if I don't know how to throw the punch, that's fine. And the piano, 
just like drums should be the same thing. You kind of just slam your hand down and you make noise, aka you're making music, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But obviously then, like, because I'm a bass player and, and I started with piano and then guitar, guitar or, or bass, a string instrument, you have to, you know, get this coordination down to actually, you know, of the two hands and find the right pressure and then how hard you strum or with your, your finger, how hard do you kind of push pressure into it to roll off to make a note that even sounds like music aside from just strumming open or, or hitting an open note. I'm yeah, like, my but, eyes just went cross because this is the most boring thing ever. But it is. But <laughs> it, it is boring. It, it, that that's that's such a good point. Uh, <laughs> towards towards like what the ultimate point here is is that all of it is boring. If you describe it like that, it's boring. Pressing your finger until it hurts and you get calluses and it's boring right. and it's mundane and it sucks. But that's if why day I, one you could play Prince. Yeah, uh, exactly. everybody would play guitar. Right, and, and you were sort of touching touching on this with the with the whole uh, the exercise analogy. But if you incorporate a way to to make it fun, to work some sort of um, uh, connection into it, where, where where a kid can relate to it, or a teenager, or whatever you're into, uh, that where that can work into this really boring thing, and say, hey, if I put my fingers down in this sequence and then move them around, I'm going to be able to play, you know, the main riff from when I come around or something. Uh, that that's a valuable thing, and, and I believe that that's the reason that a lot of kids quit instruments because they don't find a way to tie that, or they don't find a teacher who can let them tie that fun element into what they're doing. So they just let it go. Hundred percent. Could you imagine trying to start guitar? And let's say you said you were thirteen when you first started mm-hmm. guitar, right? Could you imagine if you were thirteen today in two thousand seventeen, with everything that's around you and technology? Do you think you would be more advanced because of uh, of being able to go on YouTube and watch your favorite people and play along with them, or do you think you would be more distracted and maybe have moved on faster because there were other things you could be doing that gave you instant gratification? That's a really good question. Uh, I, I think, you know, I think in I think most of me wants to say that I would just learn a little bit quicker because I had more resources at my disposal. Um, that I could just go onto YouTube and find a, and a tutorial and, and, and sort of sort of get these things instantaneously that took me months and years <laughs> to pick up initially. Right. But there is one thing, and, and maybe Matt can attach to this as, as somebody who I know would drum to songs on the radio, but uh, a big part of my formative years, like early on, was just playing songs on the radio. Was you know I, There was no internet in 1997. Or maybe if there was, there was like a really primitive version, which my parents wouldn't let me use. Um, but if, if I had had that at my disposal, it wouldn't have let me to sit there in my room and just sort of learn songs off the radio, learn Alice in Chains songs by ear, which, you know, years later, I find out that that skill that I didn't know I was using, you know, goes in to, to what I do now with Periphery and, and, and how I write music. It trains your ear. Yep. in a very acute way uh, that kind of, it's really hard to explain to other people. It's, it's just this skill that almost comes out of necessity. I agree with that. That makes sense. I used to plug you, in you, my, my headphones to like, to uh, CD players and just like play, play along the CDs or like Mark, I would make my own mixtapes and stuff. And just like, you know, on a cassette, I would like re-record over these, these blank cassettes over and over and just make like new playlists with songs to play on the drums. And I, it was all by ear. I didn't write anything or like, 
learn how to read anything and it, it totally helps now, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it helps help develop your ears over the years, I bet. I mean, having that as well as, you know, a foundational knowledge as well, sort of um, sort of a music education background to me is like the ultimate package for a musician. But if you don't have any of that, having a, a really developed uh, and acutely trained ear, that's one of those things that once you find somebody who has that, you're like, oh, okay, let's jam. Let's do it. Let's be in a band together, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I had a question uh, because it's it's interesting in talking to – so we've had Jeff on the show, your brother, Mark, um, and obviously Jordan and Justin are brothers, and they're on the show every week. Um, I don't have a you know biological brother. I have a sister. Um, and that's, she's great. I just, I don't know what it's like to have a real brother, you know, like a, like a blood for blood brother. Um, but you know, I, I kind of know, like, I know some of Jordan and Justin's stories and I know that they were very close growing up and I see a lot of similarities between their relationship and then your relationship with Jeff, Mark. And, mm-hmm. um, I was just curious, you know, because I, I've sort of heard this from, from Jordan and Justin before. But I was curious, like, you know, how important that relationship is to you and how much of, like, the things that you guys went through at a younger age brought you together now. Like, you know, some siblings aren't good friends. You and Jeff are, like, best friends. And Jordan and Justin are, like, I I would imagine they're, like, best friends. Jordan's Um, my best friend. Yeah, exactly. So, like, you know what I mean? Like, so, so what... What Aside was from it? you, Matt, and Carly. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but, but like Mark, you know, what? so what do you think made that relationship as strong as it is? Um, for, yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely agree uh, that, uh, you know, well, okay, let me back up a second here. Sometimes I lay awake at night and, and like I get hit with these pangs of regret from things like horrible shit that I've done to my brother as a kid. <laughs> like what? I mean, are there any stories you, know you can story. tell? Are like are there are there any good stories you can you can tell safely on this uh, podcast? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, now it's all. I mean, there was nothing. You, you know, like I never broke any extremities or anything like that. But um, <laughs> I mean, this did, did he tell? He didn't tell the suitcase story, did he? No, he didn't tell the suitcase story or the oh, uh, or, the, or the, the other story with the stereo. Oh, okay. So, so Matt knows this story pretty well. But this one time, I was on a road trip with Jeff and my dad. Uh, we were driving cross country, and uh, and every night we'd stop at a hotel. And uh, one night after we had driven the whole day, my dad. First of all, I, I think I was I was maybe nine, and Jeff was seven or something like that. So some of those years. Uh, 10 or 8, uh, but we're two years apart. Uh, and so my brother and I were at the hotel. My dad said he was going to go out and get some groceries or get some food. Uh, so he leaves. And the suitcase is empty. I, I noticed that the, my dad's suitcase is empty. It's sitting on the floor of the hotel room. And then Jeff says in his little bratty-ass voice, um, he, he's like, I could fit in there. And I'm like, I bet you can't fit in there. Uh, he's like, yeah, I can. And I'm like, no, you can't. And then of course he just darts over the suitcase and he crams himself in the suitcase. Uh, and then what do I do? You know, being the, the noble older brother, I zip up the suitcase <laughs> and I lock it. 
because suitcases had locks back then. Um, and, uh, and then he just proceeds to scream just nonstop. <laughs> um, and it, this lasted for quite a while. I, I think he was screaming and like, I, I remember feeling sorry immediately. As soon as I locked it, be like, Oh my God, he's screaming like for real. Is this hours, hours? Or like- oh no, no. I mean, I would have, I would have called the police had it been hours. It, it was like 20 to 30 minutes, but even then, I that's mean, dramatic. That's like the Kill Bill scene. I mean, the Kill Bill Two thing. Remember where Thurman was in the coffin? That's like that kind of, you know. Did you have the keys to unlock him or no? No. This is why. This is why I was so freaked out because <laughs> my dad had the key out there, so my my brother was just screaming bloody murder in a suitcase, and he didn't fit that well. When I say that he fit, it was like he barely fit. <laughs> um, so I mean that that was horrific, dude. And like he still says that he gets. Uh, he gets PTSD every once in a while uh, from being locked in his suitcase. But from uh, no, I did, I did that kind of stuff to my brother, man. I, but again, I mean, is that not a brotherly thing, Justin and Jordan? You, have you guys no. stuff like that to each no, other? No, I, I, never, I never locked him in a suitcase. I just fantasized doing it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you was know, it, I, was that, Mark, was that, okay, so, well, uh, two, two questions. What happened when your dad got back? Uh, we just opened the suitcase and let him out, and I was just like, "Dad, I didn't know it would lock." Um, but uh, my my brother was hysterical after. I mean, I, I apologize and everything like that, but my brother was pissed off at me for a long time. Is um, is that one of the? So is my dad. Wait, I'm sorry. Go ahead. My bad. Oh, I was just kind of kind of the black sheep of the family uh, for for an evening <laughs> that that night. Gotcha. Um, what, so is that one of the stories you regret? Yeah, I mean, in this other time, he and I were in a car. Like, I was in the passenger side in the front, and he was in the back seat. And he was mouthing off, so I took one of those, like, toy cars. You know, I, I don't know. They're, they're, like, heavy. You know, there's, like, matchbox cars. And I threw it as hard as I could at his face from, like, two feet away. <laughs> uh, and he was, he was bleeding, like, from the face. Um, and it's just things like that. I was like, damn, that's brutal. You know? And... I mean, dude, the, the list goes on and on and on. But that's like, um, I feel like that's your revenge for, you should tell, the the stereo system story. Oh, man. But that's your revenge, in a way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, truthfully, I don't know if I even can get revenge, you know, doing what he did to me um, <laughs> that that time. And <laughs> So this was this was in San Diego, California, when he and I were living in Southern California, uh, we were over at our cousin's house. I think I was, I was 12 and he was 10 or I was 11. He was nine, uh, something like that. And I was running around the room, just, just being an idiot, just running around. Um, me and me and my cousins and my brother and I'm running, I'm running, I'm running, going in circles. And then I can, I, I see it happen. I saw this happen in front of me. My brother sticks out his foot in mm-hmm. front of me as he's sitting down. Uh, and I remember seeing his foot. And I remember thinking to myself, oh, fuck. And then I tripped over his foot, and I flew forward, and I bashed my face into the corner, like the sharp corner of a home entertainment system. Hmm. Yeah, and, and not one of the – it wasn't like a coffee table or, a, or like a nightstand. It was one of those bulky, old-school, you know, early 90s, 1980s, uh, really thick home entertainment systems. Uh, and I just went into shock. Like I lost – I, I think I still had some baby teeth left, uh, and so I lost every single one of those. Uh, bust my lip wide open, shooting blood everywhere. 
and it was the it was the most severely injured I've ever been in my life. Uh, needed a bunch of stitches on my mouth, uh, and I just went in shock. Like I don't remember anything after that. I remember a rag up to my face, and I remember the rag being bright red, uh, and people trying to calm me down. Uh, but I don't remember anything after that. I remember all the dentist work I had done. That was lovely. Yeah. I remember um, the stitches. Uh, I remember sort of the recovery. <laughs> I remember holding it over his head for years. You know, whenever he got his way, I'd be like, "Well, you know, at least you didn't break your brother's face." <laughs> <laughs> well, at some point, though, at some point, when all of these shenanigans kind of cooled off, because you know, I I spent a lot of time with the both of you, and I don't ever see you guys acting like that now. Um, and rightfully so, but, um, (laughs) are there, was there a point when you guys teamed up and realized like, you know what, like we're a team, we are brothers, we are friends and you acknowledge that kind of thing. Did that ever happen? Yeah. And there was a very distinct moment and I'll never forget it. Well, okay. So there's, there were actually two moments. The first moment, um, is when I realized that I'm not going to fight my brother anymore. Like, I'm not going to physically fight him. And this was, I'll never forget it, this was in January of 1999. Uh, so I was 17 and he was 15. Uh, and we had fought over the remote control, literally over the remote control. Um, and he, like, pinned me. And I remember as he was pinning me on the ground, I was like, my little brother is bigger than me. And not just, like, a little bit bigger than me, but he could legit beat my ass right now if he wanted to. Um, and it's never changed. Like he, he's kept getting sort of like more muscular and I, I've sort of stayed the skinny <laughs> lanky kid over the years. Um, so that was the moment I, I decided to stop fighting Jeff, uh, physically. But I, I, I will tell you the, the one sort of life event that happened where we just stopped quarreling with each other and where we savored every second and every day we had was with each other was when, um, was when I left for school. This was uh, in 2001, I believe, uh, and we were both living in uh, in Andalusia, in, in southern Spain, together. Uh, our parents were stationed there uh, in the Navy, uh, and we had lived there for about a year and a half, or, or two years, I think, at that point, and I had made the decision to go uh, to college uh, in Madrid, which was about... Uh, a four-hour train ride north. It was the first time in my life that I would be living away from my parents. And, uh, you know, it tore me up pretty good. But, yeah, me and my, my girlfriend at the time, we, we, uh, we decided to, uh, to try going to college in Madrid. And, uh, and yeah, I, you know, I, saying goodbye to my brother then and then not seeing him for months, that definitely changed things. So when I saw him after that, after that break, um, it was more just like, how you doing? How's school? How are you? Tell me about what I've missed out on. And then saying goodbye to him. And then a couple more, more months go by. And then just that cycle repeating over the years to where, you know, we didn't live together. We didn't, I mean, we still haven't lived together uh, since, uh, aside from the touring aspect. And, you know, that's, that's another reason that I just, I love having him part, part of the, the periphery circle is that it sort of transports me back to my childhood where he and I can just make, you know, dumb jokes that only he and I get till four in the morning. Um, that's, that's one of the, the beautiful things about it. Yeah. Well, Mark, that's awesome. I, oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. I was going to say, I can relate in the sense that, uh, Justin is about two years younger than me as well, but I mean, he's like a freaking 
competitive weightlifter, so he's <laughs> been able to like beat the shit out of me if he wanted to for a long time now. Um, but I think it it you know when you grow up with a brother, it's easy to take that for granted, especially someone who's within just a couple years of your age. And for Justin and I, we bonded over music, and like fortunately, we were able to play in bands and travel playing music together for a good while. And I think, I know when he moved to LA for the first time, uh, for me it was like, oh, he's not around. He's not local anymore. And it was a transition. And I realized that was a relationship that was easy to take for granted. That mm -hmm. someone that I was close with, that I was friends with and could hang out with and relate over similar interests, uh, you know, that's not, that couldn't be there forever, potentially. Right. Yeah. And what you described, that's such an, an easy trap to fall in. It's like, I feel like anything that's directly in front of you all the time, you're so susceptible to just forgetting that it's there and then acting like, acting like it doesn't matter, even though it's the entire world to you. Um, but yeah, I mean, sort of what you're describing and, and the effect that, that I went through um, with Jeff, which is like having that stuff sort of removed puts things into perspective. I think you can equate it to just about anything in life. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, speaking about uh, just brotherhoods, uh, what was it like for Mark, you and Matt to really first meet? And what were you guys friends right away? Or did it take time to develop uh, some sort of dynamic that was comfortable for you both? I think I met Matt. Was it at Sonar, that old venue in Baltimore, Matt? Was that a periphery show or was it elsewhere uh i it was at sonar um and i think it was a periphery show i'm pretty sure i'm pretty yeah, sure yeah, because you guys had a different singer this was before i was in the band and you had a different singer who we may or may not mention right now um but um <laughs> yeah, we want, we, yeah, yeah. no need um, you want me to mention it i'll mention it guys i got this one uh it's cool we don't need to no you don't need to no, we don't want. Yeah, we don't want to drag this podcast through the mud. <laughs> like okay. Sonar was amazing, and I miss Sonar. Yeah, Jordan, you mentioned the singer. Man, I don't know shit about Periphery. I'm learning right now. Okay, so wait, oh, God. Then, wait. There's, there's anyways. Mark. When you and I met, I mean, did I, I? It's funny. Like I don't even really remember the moment when we were like, oh, like we're friends. You know, right. Like, it was, does that it happen was, with people? Like you just go like, ah, we're friends, or do people do that? No, but like I we mean, had to hang, we hung out at maybe was it Misha's place or I don't even remember like where we spent the most time together unless it really happened that we bonded once we started rehearsing and then we went and did was Australia the first tour that we did together? Yeah, yeah, that was the first tour that we ever did Australia in two thousand and eleven. Right. Um, or 2010, was it one of that? No, I, one of those years. But it was, yeah, I think it was 11. I think it was 11. Okay, 2011. Um, the first, I, I think the first time I ever like hung out at the outside of a venue, you came over to my apartment in Washington, D.C. to rehearse with John Brown of Monuments, who was filling in for Jake Periphery because he had a broken <laughs> finger. That's right. Oh, uh, That's right. Yes. That's right. Jake and, Periphery was, yep. was out. <laughs> and that's when like this terrible joke that I still joke about that I'll, I, I won't joke with you about where I'm like, no, I'm like number two. I don't two, care. Number you can two. make the joke. I really don't care. Oh, uh, it was so, okay. What we were, we were just, 
most people probably don't know this, but we were toying around um, or we were auditioning different guitar players for Periphery after Alex Boyce left the band. And um, like Mark was definitely like high up there in the running um, and obviously ended up being our first choice and, and the right choice for, for the band and for all of us. Um, but at the time there was, I think John Brown and maybe someone else. And I just kept like fucking with Mark when he did join the band. I was like, yeah, you were number two though. You were like, you know, <laughs> you were number two. <laughs> I'm so, okay. Well, Mark, unless, unless you have more to say about that, unless like about our meeting, I wanted to say that. I, I bonded really hard with Mark. Well, there was many times, many, many times, but like, I think the thing that brought us the closest together, I, and this is just my opinion, Mark, when you reached out to me and you wrote me a letter that was explaining some of the grievances and some of the things that you felt you needed to express to me about our relationship. Um, and, and like that whole experience changed so much for me because uh well it personally it helped me be more self-aware across the board but really it helped me to to pay attention to your needs and the other guys needs in the band and and certain things and for that i'm i'm like eternally appreciative because it takes a real friend i think to be honest with you even when it's hard to to say those things um and this was, I don't know, is this like two years ago now or like something? Was, uh, I, I don't know, a year and a half? two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, almost two years ago, I think, at this point. Yeah, and I mean, um, look, we were always, we're, we've always been friends, we've always been close, but to me, that sort of took it to a whole nother level for me. Yeah, I mean, just to go back to that, I, I dude, that was like, that was one of the, the toughest things I've ever had to do. And I mean, just to take multiple steps back here, like, what we do in the context of touring and being in a band together and living together and sharing everything um, is unnatural. It's not something that, you know, the majority of people know, you know, that they they can't really empathize with what we go through. And I'm not saying, oh, what we do is so bad. It's miserable. It's a dream come true. But everything that comes along with it, all, all of the sort of traveling in the close quarters and living with each other and not living with each other as in roommates, but living with each other as in I sleep two feet away from your genitals. You know what I mean? Like it's really, really intimate and sometimes overly intimate. So while you get to appreciate these great qualities about your friend from a distance and wax poetic about what a great person he is, you really, really, really get to know somebody when you're that close to them, uh, for better or for worse. And so, you know, I, I, I know maybe you guys have probably touched on this is, you know, in any sort of relationship like that, there's bound to be some problems. Uh, and literally, <laughs> literally everybody in the band has had some issue with somebody over the years. Um, but the talent that we've sort of collectively learned is how to air those grievances and how to be sort of communicative, 100% upfront with that person if there's something bothering you about what someone's doing, what someone's saying or whatever. Um, and it was, it was tough with you because I had never really done that before, you know, and, and you and I had been, you know, very close over the history periphery. And it was one of those things where, um, so I, I wrote Matt an email, you know, and I wanted to be comprehensive 
about, uh, you know, some things that I've been wanting to tell him for a while. Uh, and I wanted to be comprehensive over anything, you know, not forget a single detail. And that's what I did. And at the end of the message, I said, call me and we'll talk about it. And I think we stayed on the phone for three hours or something like that. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was, uh, you know, again, just to reiterate, I, I wasn't mad or upset or anything like that. I was like so thankful and appreciative that you brought things to my attention that, you know, there were some things that I knew um, about myself and it helped to, to, to have someone put a mirror up in front of my face. And then there were other things that I genuinely just like didn't even realize. And mm -hmm. that's a huge, huge thing, you know, like, it, it, you know, for people listening, like if you have a friend who repeats certain behaviors that you think could be detrimental or bothers you or comes off in some way that's unfavorable, there's a good chance, possible chance that they don't even realize that they're doing it or that they realize that they're hurting themselves or affecting other people around them, but they probably would be very receptive if you found the right way to bring it to their attention. And uh, Mark, you certainly did with me, like having that chance to read your thoughts and understand where you were coming from and having it be comprehensive. It, it, it was so not a fight. It was so not an argument. It was, it was just a true expression of how you felt. And it was very clear for, for me to understand and then be, be cognizant of how to make the changes going forward. Um, and that was definitely like, for me, the, the, the clincher of our relationship. Cause it was like, okay, cool. Like we can, we can talk like this. We can communicate like this. And it takes a strong bond to be able to do that. So, um, right. Playing on stage and traveling together and all the things we do is so much better universally within the band and amongst our crew even because as you said everybody in the band has for the most part had these conversations with one another like me and spencer have done it me and misha as you know have done it probably more than anyone um mm -hmm. almost in the band like me and jake have done it um we we all have you know nolly and i like fuck I, like i don't know if you remember when when nolly first joined the band like I had a, we both had a very candid conversation with one another about the roles and it, it just, it makes everybody have a stronger connection. And then when you yeah. do awesome things together, it's like, fuck, all of that stuff is worth it. All of that, that hard communication and the frustration and the heartache or whatever it is, is worth it when you get to achieve shit together. You know, because everybody can bask in it and like appreciate it together. And that's awesome. Like that's that's the bond that like I think that's what is addicting about the band, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I also I have to say, um, you know, a, a lot of people I know who are in bands, and I'm not gonna name any names or anything, but um I notice that it's a quality of a lot of people, especially artists, because because artists, I think most of them by nature are introverts. Uh, and, and, and at times they tend to sort of keep stuff inside. Uh, and, and that's always, that's always so poisonous. And, and for me, when, when I, when I eventually did make you aware of all of those things, um, there was never ever any, um, belief in my head that I, I was just going to sit on it. You know, the reason it took so long for, for you and I to talk was because it, it, it just took me a long time to sort of figure out how I was going to do it because it was really tough, you know? Um, it, it was, it was really hard. It was one of the hardest things I ever had to do, um, you know, with, with a friend. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I just try to battle that still. It, it's something that, um, 
I wish I had done for more years before this, I wish I had done early in my life, is not to stew and not to dwell on things, is is just to sort of be direct, be open. If there's an issue, if there's a problem, especially in a business like this, where it is the epitome of sort of a people business. You know, if you don't know how to handle people, um, you get eaten up. You get eaten alive, kind of. Um, so, I mean, you know what, dude? I have to give you a lot of credit for uh, for reacting the way you did, for reacting proactively and, and giving me a call and, and, and us talking about it and moving on from there. Um, because after we did, after we talked, even the small stuff felt great. Even the, the small stuff on tour when we would, you know, finish a show, that would feel great. The small steps from there and building from there and getting to sort of experience life and, and you know, the relationship that we have in the band together, experience that from this this very honest, truthful, brutal moment, it, it felt amazing, you know, it, 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 and it still is exhilarating, sort of building off this truth, this really harsh, difficult to difficult to dictate and difficult for you, I'm sure, to to hear, you know, getting to build off of that little by little, um, it's 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 an awesome feeling and and one that um, you know, it, it's 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 just a special it's a special feeling for me personally. That's awesome. You know, I'm I'm really glad you guys kind of touched on this because for me, I mean, personally, like I'm very inspired now, but I mean, the more experience I have, I realize more and more that like the truth is always the way. And I think part of the reason why we aren't always as truthful is because, you know, Mark, you may have had this stuff kind of building over time, but you knew that as long as you didn't say something, then the relationship between you guys would still have some sort of stability but you couldn't really guess how Matt would react and perhaps you sharing the truth would disrupt the relationship in a way that could have been negative. Right, and that's always the big risk and that I think that's why 99% of people keep whatever quarrels they have in their hearts or in their brains because they're afraid it could disrupt any sort of harmony. But in my mind, um, there's either two, there's either two types of relationships you have with these kinds of people who piss you off in life. One, they're either a family member, in which case they will come around. So let's say you want to say to your brother, you want to say to your sister, hey, look, X and Y bother, bother me about you. Could you please stop? Either they'll fly off the handle or they'll take it uh, uh, proactively. But if they fly off the handle, they're your freaking sister or brother. They'll come back to you. Um, and if it's something like this where it's a little trickier, um, you're right. I, I didn't know that that Matt would take it proactively, but I, you know, I think I had a really good grasp on his character. Uh, he's not the kind of guy who would just be like, "Well, fuck you, kill yourself." You know, he's a he's. <laughs> That's <laughs> that what he really wanted funny. to say. Um, but um, what was I saying? Oh, I, it's sort of a trust you have to have in somebody. Well, they could either take this and build off of it and be receptive to it, or. They could fly off the handle and say, fuck you. And then to that, it's ma- it makes it easier for you to say, well, fuck you. I don't need anybody else like that in my life. you know. And that's sort of like the hard-ass uh, approach there is sort of like anybody who is willing to just be that sort of brutal with you. It's be like, I'm not going to change those things about myself. Obviously doesn't care that much about you to adjust themselves. So that that's kind of a tough crossroads to meet and something – I've sort of been trying to establish in my life. Luckily, I haven't had to sort of exile anybody from my life, so <laughs> that's good. 
Well, it's cool to see the approach you took. You handled it with maturity and seemed like you really took your time and assessed Matt and his personality. And I think it was wise that through email, not only, uh, as you said, could you be comprehensive, but you could also make sure you were expressing what you wanted to express. Yeah, yeah. And I know my first instinct, like as soon as I started typing, I'm like, God, why am I fucking typing something like this? Uh, I was just like, I'm just gonna fucking call him. But then I was like, I, I know it's gonna happen. I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave out these points, and these are really important, important points. Uh, and I'm, I'm gonna forget specifics of it on the spot because I'm so sort of preoccupied with the gravity of the situation. Um, which is why I sort of put it as a disclaimer. And I don't know if anybody out here is listening has faced this predicament before, or, or if this will serve as, as any sort of advice. But I, I sort of put into it. I built into the the message. Call me as soon as you read this. Just call me so we can talk about this. You know, read it carefully, read it thoroughly, whatever. But call me so we can actually make a connection and so we can actually touch on every single one of these points. Uh, and that's exactly what we did. Matt went through it point by point with me on the phone, and we talked about it. Um, so it's it's sort of uh, like a lead. It's a passive leading approach, but that sort of for me. Um, uh, turned into something where it was very just comprehensive uh, because of who Matt is and who I am. Right. Well, clearly it worked. And one of the reasons why I'm excited that this story has been shared publicly is because, you know, sometimes it takes going into those uncomfortable moments and uh, saying no to your resistance, um, but actually honoring your truth in those moments. And because of it, it seems like you guys were able to create greater intimacy and as you said, even the smaller moments, uh, there was more joy that you guys could share in it together because you both were willing to to work together and go a bit deeper. Well, now there's just there's just no question. You know what I mean? Like, if 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 either one of us need to communicate something to the other, it's just so easy now. You know, it's like yeah. because we know how we're both going to react and how we're both mm -hmm. going to take it and and the right method of doing so. And and Mark, I, I mean, I feel like there's like small things since that we've talked about. I don't know if it's anything that's been uh, even that memorable to me right now. Like I can't think of anything, but I'm sure we've, we've discussed certain things before or, or, you know, since that time, but that's the point. It's like, it's so easy now to do that, you know? And I find that it, it is easy to do that with, with again, with everybody in the band. Like, um, I don't know. It, just makes such a difference when you finally like take the the steps to to share what other people might not be seeing about themselves you know it's like such a gift right and, and it completely removes any sort of um hesitancy you have in in and just blurting out something not blurting it out that, that makes it sound like belligerent and rude um but there's never any question. There's no there's no hesitation if you need to speak about something to somebody. Yeah. You yeah. know, and when we've all sort of learned that from experience with each other, you know, I've had not blowouts, but I, I've had my things with every every single person in the band, and that's true with everybody in the band towards the rest of the guys. And now we all know from having gone through this is that the easiest way to do it, you know, is just tie the floss around the tooth and tie the other end of the doorknob and just open the fuck out of that door. <laughs> you know, just just make it happen. Just do it quick, even if it's brutal and hard to say. Um, just just do it. And I, and I think me taking so long to communicate those things to you uh, really made it so you know all of our all of our 
the sort of the ways we communicate with each other going forward uh, are going to be <laughs> the exact opposite, and they, and they already have been. You know, things are things are a lot more direct now with with everybody in the band, not just you and I. Yeah, for sure. I think so many people, and I think a lot of people in the group could probably benefit from this as well. That um, you know, most people aren't that direct when it comes to the relationships they have, and I think a, a good practice is to set that precedent early, so it doesn't end up being this thing where you know. Um, Mark, you were saying that you wanted to write this comprehensive email and make sure that, that you got everything on it that you wanted to express to Matt. And before it even gets to that point, I think people can uh, try to have as much faith as they can and try to build as much trust and respect and love in the relationships that they have so that when, it, when something does come up, uh, instead of maybe letting it build up until it gets to a point where then you really feel like I'm about to break, so I have to write this whole thing, you know, I, I think uh, just expressing when something happens, maybe in the moment or taking a step back and debriefing, and then when you feel calm and collected, then going to that person and just expressing whatever it is that irked you or bothered you, you know, setting that precedent early in a relationship just makes for a better relationship. And I think this is very inspiring for a lot of people to hear this and see that, hey, it is possible. You can go to someone um, out of love for the relationship that you have with them and present to them something that's maybe uh, that you're not really sure how they're going to respond to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's faith. It's faith in them sort of being an understanding person. Um, and, uh, you know, if there's somebody that's worthy of being in your life, then you have to have that faith. You have to sort of blindly trust the fact that they will be willing to build off of it, you know? And then, you know, if they're not, that's, that's, uh, that's really shitty, and it, and, it, and it's sad, and I've seen it happen a lot in my life, where, where people are not willing to even just bend or take a look in the mirror and say, hey, maybe I can change so-and-so about myself. You know, with the spirit of this, I have a question for both you, Mark, and Matt, since you guys are in the band together. What I find interesting about your band is that in the time off uh, from tour and, and making records and all that, it seems like all of you are very productive in, in music and, and other interests, and I'm wondering, what's that been like? Because it's, a, a, you know, it's, it's not like three of you in a band. So that's a lot of schedules to really uh, coordinate with. And I could imagine, it seems like periphery is the, uh, is the primary thing for all of you. And I guess that helps a lot. Um, but what's that like for you guys as far as just coordinating schedules and choosing tours or making records when everyone feels like it's the best time for them to do it? Um, well, for me personally, um, you know, as, as far as dictating how the schedule goes, there are so many moving parts like you sort of hinted at. Um, there's so many There's so many moving parts, it's, it's unreal. So even things that seem as simple as playing a tour or putting out a record or recording or or whatever we happen to be doing, it can be this huge undertaking um, that we sort of really just have to to make sure that we ourselves are individually available, and and hope the other guys are. But um, but 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 for me, what I have 100% control over is right now, is this time, and I, and I think that's why you know Matt and the other guys value this time as well, is because. It's it's super rare to have that time 100% to yourself. So what can allow you to chase chase passion projects, business ideas, personal relationships, um, to make all of that happen. And I know that all six of us 
uh, really value that time off so we can be productive uh, as opposed to just being stagnant. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, as far as how we go about dictating the overall schedule of the band, it, it really is this big, I hate to call it a mess, it's not a mess, it, there's just a lot of moving parts to it and we sort of have to go with the flow. Tour until, tour until it doesn't feel right to tour and then when it feels like it's time to record, then we go and do that. So it's this very innate sort of subconscious, hard to put to rails kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I agree with that. I, I also think that something that comes with this band and with the members in it is sort of what you said, Jordan. It is the the main priority for all of us. You know, I think we all love the music. We love the performance. We love the everything that comes with being in the band. But we're also, I think, all if, if we're being completely honest, I think we're all very aware too that this band provides a, an amazing platform for us in order to do good things with the projects that we have on the side and, and reach people with the projects that we have on the side. And what's so cool about that is, uh, you know, excluding myself and this podcast, because I think that this is an obvious example of a thing on the side that hopefully reaches and helps a lot of people. Everybody in the band does these awesome things when we're home. Mark, you're doing tons of clinics. You're going out and teaching. You're going out and you're networking with people. You're going out and, and taking like time for yourself to recharge. Um, you know, everybody in the band is doing things on the side that benefit the, the people who are a part of our platform and our audience, at least those who want to, to benefit from it. It's all there. Um, so again, just circling back to the main point is like periphery is our, is our priority at the center of everything we do. And we're at least speaking for myself and I think Mark too, we're very proud of that. Like we're very honored to have people that will pay attention to what we do in the band and outside of the band. And there, there's no like illusion about that. It's not because we're just these like, you know, bunch of cool guys that, uh, that just people happen to like. It's, it's the band. It's the music that where it all starts. And then it's just how we take advantage of that afterwards. And from a scheduling standpoint, we just know that we all need to be available when everybody needs to be available. And we know that like if a tour is being booked, that's not the time to say, eh, I don't feel like it. You know, um, if everybody wants a tour, you got to go on tour. If everybody feels like it's time to write a record and, and record a record, we got to write a record. And as Mark said, it is sort of this like uh, intangible kind of feeling that we have. It, it is innate for the band in that way, but um, it's at the center of it all, I guess is, is my main point. And mm -hmm. because of that, it's not always easy to, to get everything scheduled from a time standpoint. Like people respond at different times or people are traveling or in different places, but there's a reliability that's there on everyone to know that if it is a serious enough thing, we're going to do it and everybody's going to figure out how to do it. And I think the hardest part with that Mark and correct me if I'm wrong is like how it affects the people in our personal lives and, and how we sort of go in and out of our personal lives with those other people, you know? Right. Yeah. And I, 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 I see what you're saying and it is something that like, it's pretty hard to sort of, um, describe the significance that periphery plays to us uh, or plays in our lives. Uh, because sort of like you were saying, it's at the center. We do, we do a lot of things that sort of 
act as satellites to the, to the main to the main sort of thing in our lives. It's periphery, you know that that allows us to 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 do all these other random projects. Like I know that if it weren't for periphery, I wouldn't do any of the things that I do. Like all, all the all the things that take up my time now. If I just imagine in that world in which periphery would just thrust out of it, I mean, I wouldn't be able to do any of them. So there's this sort of never-ending gratitude and, and uh, this, this surrendering to anything that challenges the importance of periphery. You know what I mean? So, so having that kind of thing in my life that holds such importance and holds such weight and sort of having to make that the, the sort of... Um, the thing on the this immovable thing on the calendar, you know. Uh, so if we have a thing three, four months from now, five months from now, that's in the periphery calendar, that it can't move, you know. And and that's hard for people, for loved ones, I should say, um, to sort of comprehend something like that. But but again, I mean, when you consider the fact that you have all these little things running around uh, the big thing in our lives, it, it's 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 understandable. When you're home every day, uh, outside of you know, let's say a tour is three, four, five months down the road, and you guys aren't making a record, what is a, a normal day to day like, and where do you find your motivation in the morning to get up and figure out where do I, I put uh, the bulk of my energy today? Uh, it just depends what what mode I'm in. I mean, uh, right now I'm I'm writing a lot of music. I'm trying to write for Periphery, trying to write for for Haunted Shores, my other project. Um, but that's just the mode I was in. That's the mode I'm in now. Um, sometimes I go through these stages where um, I just want to turn off my phone, <laughs> you know, and, and, and go like a couple weeks ago, the wife and I, we went to the Rocky Mountains uh, and we just, we did some hiking, did some camping and stuff and it was, uh, it was amazing. Uh, I, I go through phases where, where I, I get into, you know, radically different um, sort of mental states, you know. Now, and then other times I'll be like, well, I'm going to dedicate the entire month of August to clinics. Uh, and then I'll just go in ultra people person mode. And then that'll make me starve for more solitude <laughs> where I turn off my phone. Um, so it's just a cycle that continues, you know, and it, it really just, it just looks different from, from day to day. I go through these maybe two, three, four week long phases of, of what I, of what my life looks like, you know, and. It, it keeps me respecting uh, the opposite phases, you know. It's it's funny, Mark, because uh, <laughs> I think you go through certain ones in tandem, um, and I'm I you know I see I know like it's it's so funny I know which mode you're in when you're in it, you know. Um, oh really? Like how? <laughs> well, partially because we talk, but like I know from being on tour with you, when you talk about your phone, I know what happens to your phone on tour, like and to your email on tour. It's oh, like, yeah. you know, and, and I don't dark. mean that in a bad way by any means. I actually am envious that you are so good, I think, in general, in life, in whatever situation you're in, like the blinders are on and you're going like full speed ahead in that situation and you're really living it, which is something I see you do in every city we, we travel to. Like, so for those listening, Mark very rarely, if ever, hangs around the venue during the day, during any show, ever. Like, Mark is the first person to, like, go into town, take a train somewhere, hop in an Uber, disappear, and sometimes by himself, sometimes with a group. But, like, you are the first one to just, like, get outside and live in the space that's around you. 
And I always think that's so cool. And I'm, I'm very, um, I'm, I'm, I think it's admirable. I love that, that you take advantage of that everywhere you go. Um, and, and when that happens, this is what I mean. Like it's a, it's kind of like a double-sided thing because on one side of the, the fence, like you're in this mode where you're not paying attention to the phone, the emails, the text, the calls as much as you would be um, if you're like home in that mode. But at the same time, you become so incredibly, uh, not that you're not all the time, but, but so social when we are on tour. And I, I think it's amazing because you do have friends all over the place, just like your brother. And he's talked about this on the podcast. Like we go to so many random cities and you guys have tons of friends there because you lived in different places growing up. Um, but I mean, Mark, like you, you are the social ambassador of the band. I think like, you know, when all of us are tired one night after a show, we rely on you to go out and network for us. And, it's, <laughs> and it's not a, that, that's not like a, a, like, that's awesome. Like, cause you love it. it. It's not like we're sending you out to do a job that you don't want to do. It's like, where's Mark? Oh, he's out. He's, um, he's hanging out with like some, like, I don't know, some crazy rock star or like some crazy, uh, athlete like you're friends with athletes you're friends with all these different musicians in high places i don't want to say names but it's just so cool that like none of that is contrived none of it is forced you just go and get in it and you're able to get in it with other people and it's funny it reminds me of mike dawes as well and and what's so funny about that is i know you guys are really good friends and you probably <laughs> met through that experience but like you, i don't know where does that come from like your your ability to turn the world off but also be so engaged in what's happening right in front of you. Does that make sense? How like how that yeah. how it works together? Yeah, I mean, hundred percent. That makes that makes total sense. Uh, it it really just comes from um, this process, this cycle, where I, I can't have one without the other. Um, if I have too much of that social time, I'll implode. You know, I'll I'll break down. And I've had that before. Um, the first couple years of touring. With you guys were were tough at times because I didn't know that there was a switch. I didn't know that I had that switch. <laughs> I, I thought it was just, well, I'm here now, so I got to be this way every single minute of the day, or else I'm going to get eaten alive. Um, what I didn't know was that I could actually t turn that off, and then I could I could try and have it to where, you know, I'll be in this mode where I sort of I am this social person and and you know, I let that, that person sort of take over me. Um, but I don't enjoy that unless I know that I have the option to sort of switch everything off and then sort of become the hermit again. Um, and when I'm not touring, I'm very much that, that hermit. Um, so by the time, uh, it comes time to sort of get back out there, whether it's clinics or whether it's press stuff or whether it's touring with you guys or rehearsal, I come back itching to do it. And I, and I come back with a very positive mindset. Um, you know, I, I think the, the most negative you'll ever find me is, is that, you know, on week six of a six week long tour or something. But, you know, I, I think that's pretty normal, um, for, for anybody involved in touring. But, you know, for, it, it's funny you described the whole, the whole venue thing. I, I learned, uh, pretty early on, you know, touring with you guys is that when I, sort of go and do my own thing and explore a city. First of all, that just comes from me liking travel as a kid. Like I even liked airports when I was a kid. Uh, I don't think that was normal when I was young. 
I liked airports. I liked planes. I liked trains. I liked all of that. And I liked just sort of getting around and, and not even necessarily meeting people. I just liked being in different places um, and experiencing new, new things, food, shops, streets, uh, bridges, whatever, architecture. Uh, it all sort of falls into the same thing. Um, but what I noticed was if I did that in a given day and I came back uh, and sound checked with you guys or I came back two hours before we went on stage, then I would just look at you guys and be like, this is where I fucking belong, you know? And it would always give me this perspective that I didn't have early on in the day. Uh, and I could look at my job for what it was, for what it is, as a gift. You know, it, it's a gift that um, I, you know, I, I feel like I earn in my life, but I, it, at the same time, it, there, there's dudes that are, you know, 100 times more talented than me who are not doing what I do. So what I do is a gift. It fell in my lap. You know, that's the way I look at it, even though I know maybe um, there are other factors to that. Um, but the, the sort of reason I, I, I have these, this sort of switch in me is, is so I can have one thing and, and know that I have the choice to get the exact opposite. And, and that's sort of become my life at right now. And, and uh, I'm pretty comfortable with, with how that's become, you know, with, with having this really outward social side and at the same time, being able to switch it off, it, it makes me appreciate the other on both sides. Well, Mark, I think it's really cool and admirable that you created that self-awareness and realized the balance that works for you, both on and off tour, but even when you are on tour at the venue and not at the venue. Um, but speaking of different aspects of yourself, uh, I was, I guess, most intimately introduced to you via Matt a couple weeks ago. It was either Snapchat or Instagram. But this, I guess, character that you have, uh, well, I guess you're this just like a ridiculous child of some sort with one of those big ass mouth filters. And honestly, like it, it was it was watching three of those in a row to understand what I thought was like, honestly, brilliance. And I don't say that like with hyperbole or hyperbole um, because you demonstrated uh a mastery of social media, of even fucking just like simple character development and just marketing. And like you captured something so simple and pure and to just repeat it, like I, it won me over, man. What is, <laughs> what the hell is that? <laughs> That's the question of the day. What the hell is that? Um, I don't know, man. I, I just, I get like somebody told me to download, no, it was Matt. Matt told me to down, download Snapchat two years ago. And it became my favorite time sink ever when I discovered it. I was like, this is amazing. Um, and then and then I don't do it so much anymore. Sometimes I feel like I should. Um, but every once in a while, I'll just get, I'll just get this, this random inkling to do something uh, on tour if, if, there's, if there's some silence happening or if I'm feeling bored. But uh, I don't know what that is, man. That's just, I don't know, some, some weird... Um, silly part of myself materializing, but you know, I think a lot of it comes from touring, because my my brain, I feel like it it uh, it reverts back to when I was like ten years old. Sometimes, <laughs> right? <laughs> oh my god! And that's not an insult. I know Matt on this podcast, and I promise it's, it's not an insult. I no, it's there. not. It's not an insult. Yeah, it's, it's 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 not. It's just. <laughs> You get so bored in in some ways that you kind of have to figure out hilarious methods of entertainment for each other. That's what it is. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, Whether it's making yourself laugh or making other people laugh, but it's this humor that really, and I'm sure other other touring musicians, or if you've ever been on a road trip you know, with, with with your friends before, and and it's just this it's this ultra inside humor it becomes, you know, to the point where to everyone outside it's complete nonsense, you know, it's total it's total bullshit. Well, you know what's funny about that is, um, okay, so like hanging out with you in a room with other people around, just like just you and like let's say it's like me, you, Misha, Marquides, or somebody, like it is always hilarious having you in that room. And then on the other side of that, it's always hilarious if you're not there and Jeff is there. When you put, when the two of you are are together in that scenario, it is like the most painful experience ever because it's like my mouth and gut hurt from laughing so hard. And you know what? I'm gonna post the picture I'm going to post a picture uh, from when we hiked in the Redwoods on our day off, uh, yeah. I don't know, last year. And there's there's like a series of pictures of you and Jeff only, <laughs> like cracking each other up. And it's so like it, the, the picture just has it just it's so obvious what's happening. Um, but that's like that's that's your guys ability is to get in a room and just make everybody have a good time. And you both have these like stupid human tricks that like blow everyone's mind. Like Mark, your ability to come up with characters, voices, puns on the fly. It, I mean, it has everybody and people who I think are really kind of quite witty and quite funny, like all of us just in stitches. And then Jeff, like knowing how to do everything and being able to st- like you tell him any word and he can regurgitate it right back to you completely backwards and say it perfectly pronounced any word. I challenge anybody to test <laughs> Jeff on this, by the way, but like you guys have some kind of like screw loose in your brains um, <laughs> that like that, that, that allows you to like not only come up with clever shit, but shit that just gets everybody around you like to laugh and love being around you. It's, 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 and it's real. It's authentic. I don't know. It's such a compliment, I guess. And I wish, I wish, I wish we could go into more detail about like some of our characters within the band that both you and Jeff have championed. Um, no, man. I'm not. I'm not going to. I wish. Some of the things. I wish. That, I really do wish. I know. Um, yeah. I wish. I think. I Maybe think, we can find an outlet one day for that. You know, well, we got to think of something creative. Maybe one day people can finally see some of these characters. Um, but we just got to think of a, a cool, clever way to package it so it doesn't end our careers, you know? <laughs> Send us to prison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe we need to, uh, like, so for people that like Rick and Morty, like that's one level of this. And then there's people that like South Park. That's one level of this. I feel like our level of this is way worse. Um, it could only be on HBO, like at 3.30 in the morning or something, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's like Skinamax. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. Um, now my mind is just going to places. Yeah, mine too. Well, well I mean, I, you got. I mean, I've experienced. I've experienced like very little bits of this as we were sitting by the pool and we were doing. Matt was doing some characters for me, and and I I don't think it's. I mean, it's bad, but it. I mean, it, it's not as bad as maybe we're making it out to be. And I feel like in a horror movie sense, uh, you could bring these characters to life. Well. If yeah, I, you know what? That's a really good example. Or in a very like an overly comedic way, 
um, sure. where, the, where the individuals uh, in question, I'll just come right out and say it. We have a couple fictional characters uh, that, you know, are part of our inside jokes in Periphery and in our, in our band and crew that, uh, that are <laughs> extremely, um, I guess, of ill character. They're terrible people. Um, these characters that we've made up and we do routines about, I won't even say uh, what some of them are, but they're these super defined uh, and super realistic and vivid characters. We've even named them. We know what their families are like. We know what they look like. And these are all just completely fictionalized and fabricated. Uh, but what these people are, are they're just terrible, terrible people. And, and imagine the, what's the, and don't even say anything. What's the worst thing you can think of? Just picture that thing. What, what's, what's the worst kind of person you can think of? And then picture that person. And I guarantee you that's the kind of person we fabricated. And it's, it's turned into this like full band crew effort. And it gets to the point where, <laughs> where like other bands want to know what we're talking about. Do you remember, do you remember the last tour? Like Matt from Destrage was walking around going like, uh, what, what does this eat thing you're talking about all the time? Oh yeah. I don't want to get, I don't want to get too far down the inside joke lane don't give it in that lane thing. because well, nobody, can I, can I, can I yeah, tell one story real quick? Yeah, yeah, please. You remember we were joking about this same sort of thing. This one character in the band who was exceptionally awful. Um, we were doing one of his bits, uh, one of that character's bits in the dressing room. This was in Australia, and Devin Townsend's next door. Um, and then he hears us doing this voice, and he comes in, he pokes his head in, and, and he's like, what are you guys talking about? And then we're like, oh, no. We have to tell somebody about our fictional character. And even Devin, once we told him about it, even Devin was kind of like, okay. And you know Devin Townsend is Devin Townsend. Devin Townsend you know, wears fake plastic dicks on stage. And then Devin Townsend writes songs about, uh, writes albums about aliens uh, looking for coffee. And, you know, this dude's the silliest guy on the earth. And even he was like, okay, all right. All right, I'll leave you guys to it. Yeah, we've had some quite, there's a lot of friends of ours who are typically very abrasive, like send us pictures of their dicks all the time. <laughs> you know exactly what I'm talking about, but they they don't even get down with this stuff either. Like at no, all. no, not at all. Not yeah, at all. this There's, is such a mystery. It's but, a mystery. But you know what? You know what? I'm I'm happy to say that there are other bands out there that we know who are arguably worse than us. <laughs> In terms of what they do or what they say. In terms of what we're talking about right now, these 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 uh characters and inside jokes and things they say to each other i mean you know there so a couple of these guys are some of your best friends some of our best friends um which is probably why we're best friends but you know i think as, as long as you're really not hurting anybody this stuff is okay if it's for a laugh exactly. you know exactly. but um yeah i i don't know Look, to, to round this out i hope that someday we figure out a way to like do like a cartoon short like completely anonymously, like create some director or like illustrator's name and it's all of us behind it secretly and we get to put this stuff out because I think it'll, I mean, it will make people laugh pretty hard, but it's terrible. You know, Family Guy had that guy Herbert on it, you know, so they had him on the show and that's not a funny thing at all, what Herbert is. Remember Herbert, the old guy? Yeah. Is that the yeah, I mean, is that the like yeah, the guy with like Chris to come downstairs? Yeah, come yes. to my basement. I can't do the S thing. Can't do it either. Yeah, but Jordan? that guy, that 
that guy's horrific, and you know they made him hilarious. So if, if Family Guy can do that, maybe we just need like, um, you know, some sort of vehicle like that. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, and it's funny. So um, maybe, <laughs> maybe what? So Mark, I don't know if we want to mention this, but um, we kind of could. We're working on a side project, the two of us, not a music side project. Um, we're working on another project between us, and we're trying to incorporate some humor into that. So maybe there's like some fine print here and there that we can, you know, Ooh. work into this whole me- mess of, uh, of, of things we're working on right now, you know? Yeah, potentially. Yeah, we'll and I guess we shouldn't out too much about what we're working on, but uh, I'm really, really pumped on it. And when people, when people finally know about it, I'm going to be uh, very stoked to share it with them. Agreed. Agreed. Um, yeah. All right. So we are getting to about the 90 minute mark and we're going to need to wrap this up. Uh, in a couple minutes here, but Mark, I just wanted to check with you. I mean, is there anything that you wanted to bring up or talk about that's going on with you that, uh, that you're super stoked on or with the band? So I'm not shamelessly plugging anything. <laughs> I mean, not really. I'm not, I'm never stoked on anything really. Can no, I I'm just, shamelessly <laughs> plug Mark? <laughs> we can all, let's all plug our stuff together. Um, at the same time. No, I mean, I'm not really doing um, much sort of public facing these days, except for the, the clinics that I'm, I'm about to embark on. Um, this month, I, uh, I have, um, let's see, four clinics across the U.S. I have one in, uh, in Tucson. Uh, I think it's on, I don't want to say the date and then get it wrong. So it's in early August, uh, one in Tucson, uh, one in San Diego on the following day, one in New York City in late August, uh, and then, uh, one more in Austin. And then I have two more in Italy, um, in Rome and Naples, uh, in early September. So that's, that's all, about all I have going on. Um, that sort of, um, requires me to be out of my house over the next month. Right on. That's awesome. And Mark, then we, is, Oh, go ahead. Quickly. Mark is the, uh, is the S E version of your guitar. Is that a newer thing? Um, yeah, that, that was actually, um, refreshed. They put out a new version, uh, in January. Um, yeah. And so we'll see, we'll see what we do next year, but there's, there's always, there's always fun stuff we're doing together. Yeah. We're, we're, we'll, we'll look at getting some more stuff out. Um, Matt, you know what I just realized hmm. that by the time this podcast is out, we won't have a bass player. I was just thinking the same thing. I was just thinking yeah. that, that, and, and, you know, I mentioned, um, Nolly earlier in the conversation. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, by the time this podcast is out, Nolly will have released his statement. Um, actually, so we're, we're recording this podcast on Wednesday night, August 2nd. Um, Nolly's putting out his statement tomorrow that he's officially leaving the band. And, uh, maybe this is a good time to just e- express our feelings about it. Um, I, I can't stand that piece of shit. No, I'm just kidding. I'm totally <laughs> kidding. Um, <laughs> No, man. I mean, honestly, um, I wish Nolly nothing but the best. He's obviously still one of my best friends. He's my partner who I speak with every day for Get Good Drums. Um, I'm really happy that he came to a point where he's now making this decision for his life and his family and listening to his truth um, and his gut in telling him that, you know, the road is not the place for him and it's not where he's passionate, you know, it's not, it's not where he, he wants to put his efforts. So, um, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I, I hope that we can clear this up 
with everyone, you know, and, and answer any questions that might be out there. But, um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy for him and I'm, and we're all good, you know? Yeah. I think that's the, that's the point right there to anybody who's wondering, we are all good. Um, Nolly told us about this some time ago and, uh, it wasn't a shock. It didn't shock anybody because as a lot of you know, he hadn't been touring with us for the past, uh, almost two years or a year and a half. Uh, so I think there was more uncertainty than anything. Uh, and you know, every time I'd spoken to him, I could sort of get the sense that his life was becoming more about his production and his engineering and, and these awesome things that he's doing on the side and GGD and, you know, all these things that just really require a lot of energy and attention. And the more important those things become in your life, the less you can afford to pay attention to things that uh, are sort of waning in importance. And, um, you know, when he told us that, uh, that, that periphery was waning in importance, you know, that's enough reason right there to be able to understand and sympathize with the guy. If it's, if the importance is, is sort of declining, then that's all you really need to know. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a, it's a shame, but I totally, totally understand. And, uh, and yeah, Nolly, Nolly is our friend and family before any of that other stuff. Uh, and I wish him the best. Yeah, absolutely. And just to clear this up as well, um, for the foreseeable future, until we say otherwise, um, we are not going to be replacing him or, or finding another human bass player. Um, <laughs> I just, I think it's important to say that, you know, Nolly will still kind of work behind the scenes with us to make sure that our sounds are there live and we have everything we need. But, um, you know, part of that is kind of what we were talking about earlier in the podcast. And this is maybe a really good way to round this out. Um, you know, we, we've, through the years, it's taken us a long time and a lot of communication, but we've found homeostasis in the band. And it there's this, as cheesy as it sounds, there's a lot of harmony between all of us and how we work together. Uh, our crew, everyone that we work with, you know, kind of from the business standpoint and each other as band members, we really found our groove with each other. And... I think everyone in the band really protects that. It's a sacred thing because it, we have had to work on it so hard. And it's just not a very easy thing to even uh, even imagine bringing someone else into the fold, um, especially when we genuinely feel like it is not a necessary thing for us to do in order to maintain that homeostasis and be able to present ourselves the way we want to present ourselves uh, to our fans in a live scenario and on the recording. So um, I hope everybody respects that and, and knows that that is a very concerted and, and, and purposeful effort on our parts. And we're all very, very okay with that. You know, Mark, maybe you can, you know, you can echo that, but that's, that's just something I wanted to clear up. Yeah. What he's trying to say is we're not, dicks just for saying no auditions please we're not douchebags when we say no auditions don't send auditions we're not assholes we promise well <laughs> we are but not we to, are not we totally are. <laughs> yeah justin no auditions yeah we just got <laughs> yeah. done talking about these horrendous characters we created and then we're like no we're not we're not mean um, <laughs> but anyway well look um mark this is this has been awesome and um it's it's as as your brother and bandmate, it's awesome to have you on here. And and for this is like, you know, an, another one of those times on this podcast where I feel like it's just been, uh, it's been like family 
all across the board to have, you know, Justin Jordan and you here and all of us talking. And it's, it's very, um, it's just very smooth and it feels really good to, to just talk to you guys and, and shoot the shit. So hopefully our listeners appreciate that. Um, Mark, I'm excited to, to see you soon. I know uh, you'll be in the area and we're going to be doing some stuff together and we're going on tour. So I will see you very shortly. And then my other podcast brothers, I will see you tomorrow or the next day or something. But uh, this was an, a really, really fun episode 18. Um, Jordan, do you want to do your little outro thingamajiggy? Let's do it. All right. You're on, man. So we've been doing this through Skype. This is the first time that uh, me, Matt, and Justin haven't been in the same room. And, of course, uh, Mark is all the way down in Austin, Texas. I think this worked out well. You guys agree? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Like we found this text message communication system. And this is actually cool because, I mean, we all, us four included, but everyone listening – theoretically can now like do this with anyone in the world like that just blows my mind um so for all of you who have been listening up to this point as always we really really uh, humbly appreciate your attention uh i want to thank you mark personally i feel like you've offered uh, a lot of your truth and and quite frankly wisdom uh for everyone that's listening including myself today i am better because of this episode um if you are listening and you did find value in this, we kindly ask you can, to consider going on to Apple Podcasts, searching Chaka Croissants, uh, leaving a review and a rating. It helps us. Uh, if you have a friend, I don't know, maybe you're listening to this and you have a friend in the world, maybe share this with them, the Chaka Croissants podcast, and then you and your friend can uh, do what Matt and Mark did and share your truth and then create deeper intimacy and uh, connect over some chocolate croissants and start your own podcast. I don't know. Anyway, we're going to take this home. We will be back next week. We have a bunch of guests lined up, both uh, in the music industry and out of it, but all equally inspiring. We hope you guys have a great week. We will be in the Facebook group uh, slash group slash chocolate croissants throughout this week. We hope to see you there. Please join us. Until next time. Bye-bye.